0: Okay, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open to Luke chapter 4. If you haven't been with us over these last few weeks, we've been going through the gospel of Luke. And in these early chapters of Luke, he's trying to convince us of something. He wants us to come to a conclusion about Jesus. And I think he points that out really well in Luke chapter 3, where Jesus gets baptized in the Jordan by his cousin John. The heavens open up. God says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then he ends with this really interesting and unique gene- genealogy, which goes all the way back and it ends with Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. And so as we're looking at Luke chapter four, that's the lens through which Luke wants us to view Jesus, that he is unique, he's the son of God. He is able to do things no one else is able to do. And so Luke chapter four, Begins with the events that happen immediately after the baptism at the Jordan. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. So Jesus, he's... um, let out into the wilderness. I'm a kid's guy. And so what I normally do with stories, I'll read the story, whether it's a paragraph or a one chapter or five chapters ahead of time. So when I'm in front of kids, I will be all dramatic and in their face. And I'm going to really try not to do that with you guys. That's why I'm trying to sit right now. And uh, I'll, I'll condense a story. And I love teaching kids because they are hysterical. When I'll tell them something and I'm unaware that they don't know something, the questions that they ask are the best. So if I'm telling this story, I'd say, "So Jesus, he's in the wilderness and he's fasting." And a kid will say, "Well, what's fasting?" And I'll go, "Well, it's like a kind of diet." And the kid will say, "Well I don't want to boast, but I can eat pretty fast." You <laughs> can ask my dad. Well it's a different kind of diet. So Jesus, he's out, he's fasting. I believe the Bible says he's led out by the spirit into the wilderness. I think he's fasting because his ministry is beginning. He wants to seek God's counsel and direction for how this is going to start off. So he separates himself from people. He's fasting. It's been 40 days and he's hungry. And some of us, we go, well, I would really like God's counsel and direction for my life. So maybe I should fast for 40 days. And I highly recommend you talk to a doctor first. Because I don't know about you, but for me, when I haven't eaten for 40 minutes, my wife will lovingly tell me that I'm something called hangry. And when I get hangry, I start to show all the characteristics of someone who isn't seeking God's counsel or direction. And I think that Satan knows that about people. Because it's when Jesus is hungry, when he's weak, when he's tired, that's when Satan shows up. Satan is the adversary. He's the tempter. He's the one who's been around since the beginning of human history with Adam and Eve, trying to get people to fall, to fail. And um, he's really, really good. He knows all the best tactics. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Which is really interesting to me. Satan comes to Jesus. His first shot at getting Jesus to be tempted and to fail is, you're, you're hungry, dude. Let's have a conversation after you've eaten. He, he tries to appeal to this need that Jesus has. And when I was reading this, I was going, why does the deal with that? Why would that be the first thing that Satan would bring to him? And I think... Because remember, Jesus was led out by the wilderness too fast to seek God's direction and counsel. I believe if Jesus were to make the stones into bread and eat it, it would be to obey a command from Satan and not a command from God. I believe it's 100% in the realm of possibilities that Jesus can turn stone into bread. We see later Jesus can turn water into wine. He can multiply five loaves of bread and two fish to feed 5,000 people. Jesus can do things no one else can do. And I believe Satan came to him saying, man, there's this need that you have. Why don't you just satisfy it? Then we'll talk. He comes in a really reasonable way. And God has built in us really good things like that we need in order to survive. Our body will tell us, hey, you're hungry. You're thirsty. All of us have these needs, these needs for intimacy even. And Satan knows how to twist those needs in a way to where they're no longer good. And that's how you get things like gluttony, and you get things like alcoholism and addiction and perversion. Is is Satan knows how to twist these needs that we have in a way that they now become wrong. And what Jesus does, which is really um, the opposite of what I like to do sometimes, is He doesn't debate Satan and He doesn't start arguing or defending His position or where He's at. Jesus instead relies entirely upon the authority of Scripture. Have you ever tried to debate your temptation? Like You're like, well, I'm not going to do that because this will happen, and then this will happen, and then, well, I guess that, maybe that probably wouldn't happen, and well, it is only just a little bit of bread. The next thing you know, you've talked yourself into it. So Jesus doesn't even bother with that. Jesus goes straight to the authority of Scripture. Hebrews and Ephesians says that the Word of God is like a double-edged sword. Swords are made exclusively for battle. And so Jesus goes straight to the authority of Scripture. He says, it is written, man shall not live By bread alone, he quotes Deuteronomy. So put yourself in his shoes for just a minute. God has called you into the wilderness. You've been fasting for 40 days. And all of human history depends on your ability to quote a line from memory of Deuteronomy. How does that go? (laughs) The word tells us that God's word is living, it's active, it's a double-edged sword. It's really important that we be people that dedicate ourselves to Scripture, which is why I'm so thankful we have a body that's decided it's important to come in the middle of our week, carve out time to be in the Word, because it's really important. That's why we push kids in the kids' wing to memorize Scripture, and we'll give them a little treat for it, anything to make them excited about being in God's Word, because it's really, really important. And Jesus, when he quotes this line in Deuteronomy, It's man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. Jesus is saying, I'm not getting my sustainment. I'm not getting what I need to live from bread. I instead draw close to the one who gives life, the sustainer of life. That's where I'm getting my life to follow through, this ministry. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will if you then will worship me it will all be yours and Jesus answered them it is written you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve so satan doesn't just leave Jesus when Jesus quotes scripture satan instead he rebates the hook There's a man, his name is Thomas. There's a, he's a a director. That's how I remember his last name. doesn't matter. His name's Tom. He wrote a book and the book was all about Satan and and the the tactics that demons use. He's a Puritan preacher um, to tempt humans. And what he said is all Satan does is he puts bait on a hook and the bait always looks really good. And so the first time he says, hey, you're hungry. That's the bait. And then the second time he offers Jesus prosperity. Hey, you're a king. You're meant for kingly things. You're out in the wilderness and you're hungry. Kings should never be hungry. What are you doing? So he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, I'll give this all to you. It'll be the easy way. Work smarter, not harder. All you have to do is worship me and I'll give it all to you. Anything you could ever want. Jesus or Satan, rather, knows how to bait the hook really, really well. No demon would ever come to a human and say, hey, I got an idea. Here's what we should do. There's a woman at your work. I think you should start talking with her. it will be really innocent at first. And then it can just kind of progress to be a full-blown affair. And then your wife will inevitably find out. It'll completely sever and destroy any respect or relationship your kids have with you. It'll ruin your life, this woman's life, your wife's life, and your kid's life. And it'll probably end up being a generational thing that can destroy a bunch of families. Let's start Tuesday. Do you think anyone's going to do that? No way. Satan knows how to bait the hook really, really well to where it seems reasonable and looks really good. And that's how come people will over and over and over again try to get the bait off the hook, and they always end up with a hook in their mouth, getting reeled towards death and destruction. Always, always, always. Satan's really, really good at this. And Jesus, again, quotes scripture. He relies upon the authority of scripture. He says, you shall worship the Lord your God And him only shall you serve. And so Satan, again, he he rebates the hook one more time. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone." And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So on Sundays, we have groups of people who will leave church and they'll go to a community group. And a bunch of believers will sit around and they'll talk about the scripture and they'll talk about the teaching and they'll encourage one another. Satan and his demons, they also have a community group. And they get together and they open up the word of God. And they say, what can we twist in such a way that it would misrepresent God's promises for his people to where when they don't come out the way they want, they'll question God's love and integrity for them. Or they'll just twist scripture entirely like, did you know that the number one quoted verse prior to a few years ago was, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And now the number one quoted verse of the Bible is judge not lest you be judged. And I believe that's severely misrepresented because we have John the Baptist, who's a pretty judgmental dude. And Jesus looks at him and says, hey, this is the best man who's ever been born. Satan knows how to twist things in just a way to where it'll get us to stumble, to question God's love for us. And it's really important that we be people that know our word that we can look at the big lines that go through the Bible and say, you know, that just doesn't line up with what I know. And Jesus, again, doesn't argue, doesn't debate. He goes back to what he knows of Scripture, because now nah, that's not right. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And so there's some of us that go, well, can Jesus really understand my temptation or my sin because he never gave in Does Jesus really know what it's like to struggle with the things I struggle with because he's never experienced it in the way that I experience it and the best illustration that I've ever heard on this is if there's two men in a gym and they're lifting weights together they're spotting one another and one man's able to lift the entirety of the weight to full extension and bring it back to resting position And the next person gets up to go and he can't lift the bar at all without the weight of the spotter. Which one of them fully appreciates the weight of the bar? It's the one who could bear the weight. Jesus is the only one who could bear the weight of sin and temptation. And that's why Hebrews tells us that Jesus is our good high priest. Israel in the Old Testament, they used to have a high priest. It's what you needed. He would mediate between God and man. When man would sin, the high priest would go to God and say, Lord, we're so sorry for what we've done. Please forgive us as a nation. Please forgive us as individuals. We need your forgiveness. The Bible tells us that Jesus, he's our good high priest because he understands. He relates. When we go to God and we ask Jesus for forgiveness, he goes, oh, man, I get it. He never looks at us in condescension or going, why don't you just try harder? I could do it. Why couldn't you do it? He understands. He understands the full weight of the bar. And Jesus was the only one who could overcome. And that's why when Jesus died on the cross, a sinner's death, he was able to take all of your sin onto himself. And then when Jesus died, the Bible tells us he nailed our sin to the cross, when he rose from the dead, the sins stayed dead. And Jesus being victorious over sin and death, he rules and he sits at the right hand of God. He mediates between you and I and we get to go straight to him with all of our temptation, all of our sin, all of our failures, knowing it's covered by his righteousness. And notice here that Satan doesn't just go, well, he withstood, I'm out. He waits for an opportune time. And right now you might be in a season where things are really, really hard and you're struggling with some stuff, and so that's why you're praying a lot, and that's why you're in the Word, and that's why you're here tonight. But you might be in a season where things are really, really good. And that doesn't mean that right now is a time for us to stop praying and to stop being in the Word, because Satan is waiting for an opportune time. Just like what the Lord said to Cain right before he sinned, look out, sin is crouching, it's waiting. So Jesus, he succeeds, he overcomes every temptation... And he then begins his ministry, and he takes off hot. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the synagogue, or all the surrounding country, and he taught in the synagogues, being glorified by all. Jesus is going around, he's teaching, he's exciting. When he goes and he's sharing, people are listening, they're intrigued, and a word is going out about him. People want to be where this guy is. They've never seen someone like him before. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. Jesus, his custom was to go to church. And Nazareth, if you are unaware, is a very, very small town. Especially in Jesus' day, they're very unimportant. They were politically, socially, economically very unimportant. They're impoverished, mostly illiterate. If they had a really big house, it would be 500 square feet. These people do not have a lot. And so if you were any bit of a good speaker, any bit of a good pastor, any bit of a good teacher, you would not go to the synagogue in Nazareth. You would go to Jerusalem, where all the great teachers would be. And so Jesus, his customs to come to church, do you think he ever sat through some really terrible speakers? Do you think he ever came to church and some guy stood up to share an announcement and he's sharing what God put on his heart and when he sat down, everyone went, I have no idea what he just said. You hear me out. Do you think Jesus and his family ever showed up to church and they went, oh my gosh, the youth guy's speaking. Oh, it's worse. It's the kid's guy. Despite being led by incredibly flawed people, people who were barely literate, people who were very poor, people who probably didn't know the scripture very well. It was Jesus' custom to still come to church, to be with God's people, and Jesus served. We see that Jesus read at his church. He got involved. He, this is his people. This is where he wants to be. And so he shows up, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. People here are poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Israel has identified as being captive since Babylon. And recovering of the sight of the blind to set liberty to those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at his gracious words that were coming from his mouth. They're like, this is some exciting stuff. This guy, Jesus, he shows up and he's describing our situation. And he's saying something's changing right now. Wow. Okay. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? But only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. So they're excited about what Jesus is saying until Jesus says, it's not what you think. Israel was hoping for a king that would come, overthrow Rome, take control, and sit on the throne as a human, ruling Israel. But we know that's not God's plan. God's plan wasn't to overthrow Rome. God's plan was to overthrow sin and death. God's plan was to not rule earthly kingdoms, but to rule every kingdom, have a heavenly kingdom, where you and I get to rule and reign with him. Jesus' reign is different than what they were anticipating. So Jesus shares with them, yeah, just like in these Old Testament stories where there were people who were in need in Israel in this time, it's not just for them, it's for everyone. It's not what you're expecting. They get upset and they want to have Jesus killed. And the part that really stuck out to me here is the part where Jesus says, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. And when Jesus is sharing these gracious words, they say, isn't this Joseph's son? Like, isn't this the guy whose dad they didn't they get like pregnant out of marriage and their family disowned them and it's like a whole thing and there's high evidence that Jesus had brothers and sisters and it's very likely that they were probably less apt to honor their father and mother than Jesus did so there's probably some of the church that go oh, I kind of question the family that he's come from now nazareth was a really small town but relatively speaking grant's pass is still a small town in fact the joke I like to tell is it would be much more efficient for our Josephine County court system. You know, you can go online and look at mugshots if they would just sort them by year of graduation. You know, year of 04, class of 68. Just so when you're going through and you see the people you went to high school with, you can go, oh, man, I used to color with that guy. What do he do? Oh, that makes sense. You know, as you're looking at those things, we're relatively a pretty small town. And as a result, a lot of people here we've gone to high school with. We know their families. We know their families' failures. We know people's personal moral failures where they've gone wrong in their life. And as a result, we can tend to write people off pretty early. My best example firsthand of this is one of my best friends is a worship pastor in Medford. And he was an addict and was traveling on the road playing music. He got saved and he came back home and he had the hardest time plugging back into his town with his family. Because they go, no, it's just Jeremy. Don't listen to him. He's a manipulator. He's a liar. He's a cheat. He's a thief. He's just trying to get your trust so he can break your trust. And I didn't have any of that background. I showed up to church one day and he was leading worship and I got to talk with him for like five minutes afterward. And my interaction with him just made me go, wherever this guy's going, I'm going. God is doing something amazing in his life. Have you ever seen the transformation that can happen in someone who's dedicated their life to death and destruction and sinning? When they get transformed by Jesus, when they get redeemed by Jesus, how different they can be. How excited they can be about the Lord. And they're not about the things that they used to be about. And they're all about this new life that they have in Christ. We have to be careful being in a small town to not discount that. There are absolutely sins and moral failures that can permanently keep you out of certain lines of service, absolutely. But we need to be careful in this small town to not discount the redemptive work of Jesus because I don't wanna become like the people of Nazareth where I miss out on what Jesus is doing. Because I am assuming things based on how things used to be. Jesus tells us that there was an old man in us. And when we give ourselves to Jesus, the old man dies and we put on the new man who lives in Christ. We're not about the old man anymore. And now, verse 31. We're getting there, guys. (laughs) And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee... And he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching for his word-possessed authority. You guys ever been sitting in a service, and you're sitting there listening to the guy teaching, and you go, oh my word. He must have spoken to my spouse, because he's speaking right to me right now. Dude, when Jesus was there teaching, he literally knew. So these people, they're listening to Jesus teach, and they are astonished Because his word possessed authority. They're sitting there going, oh my gosh. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus is a category unto himself. He's the set-apart one of God. There's no one like him that has ever existed. Even the demons, they look at him and they recognize that. In all of existence, there's nothing, no one like Jesus. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And reports about him went out in every place in the surrounding region. So Jesus, with word, can cast demons out of people. And then in verse 38, and he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over them, or stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of them, many crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. Jesus isn't interested in the demons proclaiming his divinity, he would rather have that happen through people like us who he's healed proclaim his divinity and call him the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So in Luke chapter 4, What we see of Jesus is he shows up in the wilderness, Satan is there, and he tries to tempt him. And Jesus overcomes every single temptation in ways that you and I just simply couldn't. He's able to do things that you and I can't. We see that Jesus is able to rebuke demons and they leave, that he's able to rebuke illness and even illness flees when Jesus says, get out of there. We see that Jesus goes to places and people, some accept him. Some are excited about following him. They're astonished at his words. He's speaking in ways that people haven't heard the Bible taught before. He's giving people hope. There's something about him that people want to follow. We see that there's people that reject Jesus. And the whole point of these early parts of Luke's is for us to look at it and go, there's something unique about this guy. This is Jesus. He's not just a normal dude who went and started teaching one day, he is the Son of God. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the set-apart one, the one who can do things exceedingly abundantly above what we can ask or think. He's in control. He's the Son of God. And so this week, let's try to be people that remember, not discount God's redemptive work in our life, or the lives that could happen in our neighbors and in our friends and in the family members and the brothers and sisters in Christ that we have with us. And we go to our good high priest excitedly with the things that we deal with, that we struggle with, knowing that he has overcome. Let's be people this week who are in the word, who rely upon the authority of scripture and not our own strength to overcome. Because we can't. We need to keep our swords sharp. A soldier does not do well when he unloads his gun and takes his boots off. In seasons that are really good, we need to be constantly in the Word and in prayer because this is our best equipment for overcoming the evil one. So Jesus, we thank you so much for tonight. We thank you so much for your Word that can encourage, that can rebuke, that can help build us up. We thank you that you have given us the tools necessary to grow And to become who you've asked us to be. And Jesus, I'm so thankful that you do not ask perfection from us. But it's been granted through your son's perfect life as righteousness that gets put on us when we accept your son's death, burial, and resurrection to cover us. And Jesus, I pray that as Satan came to Jesus and said, if you are the son of God, trying to question Jesus' I." Jesus's identity during temptation, that we would never be ones that question our own identity in you, that we are adopted sons and daughters of the most high God, that you cover us, that you love us. it's in your name we pray, the mighty name of King Jesus, amen.